welcome today to our online internet church service. Yes, I'm so happy that you're here, and I believe that God will strengthen you today with His Word. And so we're going to jump into the Word of God. And why don't you take your Bibles and meet me today in Psalm 66. And let's receive the tithes and offerings, but I, I want you to see something amazing. I think that as I read this verse, you will be able to identify with it personally. Let's check it out. This is Psalm 66, verse 8. O oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of His praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living, and does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O oh God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. Well, this is true. God takes us through uh, moments of testing. God also takes us through uh, areas of refining of our character, so that the nature of Christ will be reflected in us. And it says, for you, O God, have tested us. Well, I really believe that there's also testing in the area of financial obedience. And just as, as you go to school, or you go to uh, college, higher education learning, eventually, in order to qualify that you have learned the material that has been presented to you, there will be a test. And so if you pass the test, you get to uh, graduate and go on to the, either a higher level class, or maybe you're at the point where you can get your degree, and you're ready to go into the next, uh, or you know, go out and get a job, or whatever the case might be. But I believe with, with tithing and with giving, that the Lord really does look for consistency from the aspect of that, this is what we do as a lifestyle. These are not just like one-time moments, God, I'm going to give, and if, and if I do, you really need to bail me out. And then, you know, uh, then there's no, uh, you know, further giving or anything like that. But I believe that God looks for us to move into a place where tithing and giving is settled in our hearts as believers, because it's biblical, it's the right thing to do, and it is a principle of seed time harvest that God has designed in order to get us ahead in life and to be successful in life. So, you know, sometimes a person says, well, Pastor Stephen, I've been tithing for two weeks, and I'm a tither. Well, not really. You know, j just like a person might say, well, I gave, you know, I gave once, you know, four years ago, and nothing really happened. Well, you're not, that's not really a giver. No more than the person that goes into their backyard, maybe just a few times in the summer, opens up a grill and cooks hamburgers and hot dogs. No more does that mean that he's an executive chef. No, just because you do that doesn't mean it makes you this. Just because you do it once or twice doesn't mean that that's something that is now established in your life. It's like the person that says, well, you know, sometimes I change my oil on my car. You know, maybe twice a year I do that. Does that mean I'm a master certified mechanic? No. And I, I you know, it's just when you look at stuff like that, you're looking at things that are just, you know, every now and then. So a tither and a giver is somebody that, you know, has moved into a place where this is just lifestyle. And God will test you on that. Sometimes Christians say, why, why is it not working? I, I, I tried tithing. You know, you know they, like try, they tried it once or twice, and then they, you know, uh, never did it again. Uh, so that's not what God's looking for. God's not looking for you to have some kind of lottery mentality. Just do it once, and it'll change your life. No, you're supposed to work biblical principles because they'll work for you, but you, you don't just work it once or twice. You're, you know, you come into a place of conviction from seeing the light of the truth of God's Word that you just say, I'm going to make this a lifestyle. This is, the, this is what I'm going to do. In other words, I'm not going to just live holy one week out of the month. No, I'm going to endeavor to live holy for the Lord all the time. Why? Lifestyle. Why? Because that's what I see in the Word is something that the Lord wants us to be. Praise God. A Christian, remember, not just on Sunday morning or Wednesday night Bible study or, you know, early morning Bible study, whatever the case might be, but really every single day, every single day. So there's tests. There's tests on that. God wants His people to really lock in and just establish a covenant with Him. And that's when you begin to see God move, when you've just made up in your heart, you know what, I'm doing this for the rest of my life, because it's in the Word, and I want to be obedient to the Lord. So there's testing, there is refining in these areas. Is it, is it like fun? N not really. Um, but it's something that you have to go through, 
and it's really for your development in the Lord. So we thank the Lord for it, all these various tests, these refinings. It also says you brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. Uh, verse 12 is very interesting. This is the one I think many of you can identify with. You have caused men to ride over our heads. And the whole, the whole thing really here is God's allowing it. And you can't do anything about it. And maybe you are at a job and you just don't like the boss. Um, there's uh, maybe not only like, you know, you don't have the same kind of personalities that that's okay, but maybe the person just for no reason, just rough on you. And you think, why? You know, what have I done to deserve this? Well, maybe it's something you've done to earn that because the Lord knows that you can be in that place. You can handle it. And God wants to make you tough. Um, I think something is undeveloped in a Christian when they wear their emotions on their sleeves, when uh, things rattle them. I think God wants you as a leader to be a person of depth uh, where, you know, you're, you're a tough cookie. Yes. Um, you know, heart of a lamb, but the, the skin of an elephant, you really, you really need to be developed in these areas. And so you can have men right over your head. You can have rude, crude people somehow have a position where they're over you and you can't do anything about it. Maybe you're, you're in an apartment and the, the people above you just make all kinds of noise. You hear their stomping, you hear their arguments, you hear them blasting their TV and you call, you call the, uh, the apartment center and you, you speak with the, the manager or supervisor and say, Hey, you know, uh, is there, can, can you call my neighbor and ask him to tone it down a little bit up there? Uh, you know, and the, you know, maybe the manager says, well, there's nothing we, we really can do about it. And many times that's the case. Sometimes these things, they just, they just ride over your head <laughs> and you're like, why? Well, one of the reasons why is so that you're uncomfortable and that you will realize this is not your ending point. In other words, there's something about it that bugs you. So if your job, if you had a boss that was just perfect and your workplace was always perfect, maybe you would never ever contemplate the idea of starting your own business. And that, that could be where God wants to take you. But if things are just so comfortable and perfect all the time, you would never get to where God wants you to get. Uh, so he can allow it to be uncomfortable. He can allow people to ride over your head. It's almost like you're in the net, uh, like afflictions put on your back. Uh, work demands that are placed upon you that are unrealistic expectations and you can't you can't do anything about it well these things God is working he really is working uh, you know you could be in the apartment with the person above your head stomping around and making all kinds of noise but that could be the thing that drives you to the point of thinking you know what I'm going to own my own home. I don't know how, but I'm going to graduate beyond apartment living. I thank God for it, but I'm going to get to a place somehow God's going to get me beyond this. I'm going to have my own home with nobody above my head. Hallelujah. Now, of course, if you have a penthouse suite and you're at the top, there's nobody above you. But whatever it is, and I'm not trying to say that this lifestyle is better than that lifestyle or living in the skyscraper is not as good as living in a, in a you know house. That's not what I'm trying to say. All I'm trying to say is that difficulties, things that bug you, God can allow it to develop you and also to help you realize don't be content in this present situation. Don't settle here. That's why these things aggravate you so that you can be uh, contemplating in your understanding, you know what, I don't want this to be my life's, you know, continual journey. I really want to get to a place where I break past this. And so the agitation of it, the grinding of it can be that thing that says, I will not settle here. I'm going to, I'm going to be faithful here in the midst of it, but I'm going to make sure that I, that I end up at the place that God has for me. And that's really what is being expressed here. You have caused men to write over our heads. That's not the end point. That is something for training. That is something to bring out your calling, your identity in Christ. You have caused men to write over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. Now the King James Version says, you brought us out to a wealthy place. The uh, New King James Version, also still very clear with this, you brought us out to rich fulfillment. That's, got, that's where God is ultimately taking you. And 
you know what? When I travel internationally, I travel business class because, first of all, I'm on kingdom business, and I don't like showing up somewhere wore out, and uh, I don't like flying for 20 hours uh, at the back of the bus. Let me say this, though, in light of that. Um, for years, not for months, for years and years and years and years and years and years and years, I'm not exaggerating on that, for years, I traveled uh, in the back. I was, I was the person in the economy class flying the cheapest ticket uh, with, you know, the most difficult hours, the longest layovers, everything all rolled into one, you know, like, this is tough, you know, and by the time I would get to those international locations, uh, yeah, I'd be tired. Uh, at, at the same time, I can be honest, I was a lot, I was a lot younger because I, you know, I started doing these meetings in my late twenties of going overseas. Uh, and you know, when you're in your twenties, you can spring back, you know, real quick. But even, even then, I, I wouldn't have preferred to have flown like that, but I, I did fly like that. Um, but you know, I could, I could look up from, I, I could be in that economy class seat and I could look up and I could see empty seats in business class. I could see empty seats in first class and think there's room for me at the top. Um, I could also look up there and think, you know, there's really nothing different between, uh, us that sit in the back and the people that sit up there. Somehow they're just, they've got access to some uh, further funds or whatever the case might be. But you know what? I just used my faith, and I and I believed, and I had one visitation from the Lord after after flying economy for years, many years. I had a visitation from Jesus, and He personally told me. He said, "From now on, when you travel internationally, you'll fly business class." And now I've done that for years and years and years and years and years. And I'm not over exaggerating on that either. I've flown on many many uh, different airlines all over the world. Sometimes completely around the world. And you know what? I, I enjoy it. But, it, but am I am I content with that? I'm thankful for that. But I believe there's still higher levels to go. And I I'm I'm still pressing on for those things that God has, that are on the next level. Praise God. What is, what does God bring us to? He brings us to a place of rich fulfillment. He, bring, he brings us into a wealthy place. Now, in the Hebrew, this is also a broad place, a place of room, a place where you can move around, and, you know, maybe you need to believe the Lord for that. Maybe, maybe you're tired of living in a house that's 1,200 square feet, or an apartment that's 1,200 square feet, and you'd like to get something bigger. And as I've said before, why not? Why not have something bigger? You know, bring people over, have Bible studies, um, you know, have fun together, have meals together, and things like that. Be able to host people, bless people. It's a joy, praise God. But God, through all of these times, uh, He's taking us to the wealthy place. That's what's on His mind while we're going through the difficult things. Uh, it says, we went through fire and through water. Those are difficult times. Those are the times when some people want to, how can we say, throw in the towel and just say, God, it's too hard. The, the path, the journey is too complicated. I just, I just don't want to do it anymore. But you know what? Jesus went through the cross. He endured all of that because of the joy that was set before Him. And so when you're going through these things, just, just keep the ultimate goal in mind. And be praising the Lord as you go. Be, be seeing before you the place that God wants to get you to, that wealthy place. And it's in times like that that you can actually smile and laugh, even when people write over your head, because you think it's okay. Lord, this is not my in location. I'm on the journey, and you're going to take me into that wealthy place. And so, oh God, I praise you on the way. I'm going to be faithful on the way. I'm going to be humble on the way. I'm going to be kind and generous on the way. I'm going to be loving and gracious on the way. And when I get there to that wealthy place, I will continue to demonstrate the character and the, the goodness of Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. So my friends, I want you to think about that today as you're tithing and as you're bringing seed into the storehouse of the Lord. Be mindful that the journey sometimes can be tough. I believe, I really do believe this that sometimes God allows it to be tough to thin out people that don't really want it. I think this is the missing part of the gospel that a lot of preachers aren't talking about today, that the glory 
the miracles, the the very the, the very uh, precious things of God, you have to really want it. And if you're half-hearted and you don't really give an effort to fulfill God's high purpose and high calling for your life, then most likely you're never going to reach the end location, which is what? Your wealthy place. So you really have to be hungry for the Lord. You really have to give it your best, and you really have to be locked in and make God's principles your, your lifestyle. Not like I'll just give this a shot once and nothing happens no, you really, you know, God might do that for a baby, baby Christian, or maybe for an unbeliever that just got saved, and it's just like so weak in the faith that they don't, they can't even find the book of Genesis in the Bible. You know what? But when you've been doing this for a while, God really does begin to treat you uh, as a student, as an adult. And he doesn't see you in a diaper anymore spiritually. He's ready for you to grow up, start using your faith, and start making these things uh, truths that are ingrained into your life. And when you do that, I'm telling you, and you work it, you're going to get results that are, that are amazing. God will take you to the top. He'll take you to your wealthy place. Yes, you may go through some fire, and you'll probably go through some water, some difficult moments. Just keep on going. Just keep on going. Just keep your praise up. Keep tithing. Keep giving. And you will arrive there. I think sometimes you arrive there and it's um, the way that God does it. You just pull into your destination. It may not just like suddenly unfold overnight, but you just kind of, you just kind of arrive there because it's just all working. Every single area of your life is just moving forward and it just gets easier and easier. Before you know it, you're standing in that place of wealth. You're standing in that place of enlargement. Praise God. By the way, I, I don't apologize for these, these words that are in the Bible. I didn't make these words up. This is in the Bible. This is not me, uh, talking, this is the Lord talking, and I'm not going to be embarrassed for what the Scripture says. But you brought us out to rich fulfillment. You brought us out to our wealthy place. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Just say, I receive. Praise the Lord. Father, I pray for your people today as they're bringing the tithes and the offerings into the storehouse. Oh, God bless them. I thank you that you're going to get them to their wealthy place. Some are in the, the good land, eating the fruit of the land. Others know that it's there for them, and they're still, they're still working their way there with many, with many afflictions laid on their back. But, oh, God, you're going to get them there. You're going to get them there with Christ-like character so that the good stuff doesn't, doesn't wreck them. Father, we praise you. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You do know success has ruined a lot of people. Not that there's anything wrong with success, uh, because poverty can ruin you too. <laughs> but success has a different, um, it has different temptations that come with it. And one of them is just to be lazy. One of them is to say, I've made it, so now I, can, I don't have to push so hard. But I don't see you doing that. I, I see that when you get there, you'll still pray, you'll still pursue the Lord with all your heart. And, um, and you're just going to keep on doing the things that got you there. The way we practice is really the way we play the game. That's why the greats in, in sports, they, they didn't devalue practice. I know that you can't go so, so hard in practice that you injure yourself. But those who are great in sports would, even in practice, push it right up to that limit where it's just, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've heard about some of the greats in basketball with incredible skirmishes that in some ways almost exceeded what took place on the court in real games, but that's why they were always winning championships. So, yes, the way we live our life is what comes out with these results. It's not accidental. It's not magical. It's just that we are, we're putting it all in, and the results that come out of it are not surprising. Praise God. Hallelujah. We're not surprised by the results. The results speak for making the right application of God's Word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Well, I think some of this leads us into today's message. I want to talk about the spiritual tightrope, how to balance it, how to walk it right. Praise God. This is something that as believers, particularly those that really want to walk close to the Lord, requires a finesse of the Holy Spirit, 
a grace to get it right. Let's talk about it today. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17. And let's go to verse 1. Heavenly Fathers, we jump into your word today. We're just asking that your word would be quickened by your Holy Spirit, that we have the right balance. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Uh, the Holy Spirit is helping me to realize or, or to remember that I forgot to balance the, the final part of the tithe and offering message, which is uh, where to send your tithes and offerings to. Okay? So if you're mailing them in, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717. Moravian Falls, North Carolina. Our zip code here is 28654. Those of you that like to bring your tithes and offerings in online, please visit the ministry website, stephenbrooks.org. There's a link on the homepage called Tithes and Offerings, Sow and Reap, and you can go there right now and bring them into the house of the Lord. And you are blessed. Praise God. Now, balancing on the spiritual tightrope, walking with God. How about this? One foot in heaven and one foot on the earth where you are drinking the glory of God, the glory of heaven, and at the same time you're very effective down here doing all that God has called you to do. It can be challenging, but yes, it can be done. Matthew 17, verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. A very unique experience, really a very privileged experience. He only took those that were uh, developed enough spiritually to be able to assimilate what was going to take place. And even for them, it stretched them like they'd never been stretched before. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here if you wish. Let us make here three tabernacles, or three tents. And he says, uh, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Well, this is a pretty glorious moment, Jesus being transfigured, where the deity that He was and is, more of that is exposed and revealed, where they see even His clothes change, they see the glory of His face. A very special moment with also two of the great saints from the Old Covenant appearing, Moses and Elijah. Verse 5, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Well, what a night. Jesus transfigured, redeemed saints, Moses and Elijah appearing on the mountain, being seen by Jesus and the three. They also saw Moses and Elijah. Uh, you know, and you, you would have to think that a Jewish man would probably always wonder, I wonder what Moses actually looked like. I wonder what the great prophet Elijah, what did he look like? Well, the, they saw, they saw Moses and Elijah standing there. And to uh, top it all off, uh, the, the wrap up of an amazing night, hearing the voice of God the Father speak. My goodness, what a night. I can imagine I can imagine the, the, the excitement of Peter. Yeah, this is amazing. Let's just stay up here all the time. <laughs> Let's make three dedicated uh, tents up here. And, uh, you know, Peter's just, he doesn't know what to say. He's just kind of like babbling because he's overwhelmed by the place. But you would have to think, yeah, let's just uh, let's let's get some monuments up here and let's build a church on top of the mountain. Yep, and uh, th let's just uh, stay here all the time because this is such a ma an amazing moment. Well, verse seven, Jesus came and touched them and said, "Arise and do not be afraid." When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Verse nine. Now, as they came down from the mountain. Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. I understand why supernatural things can be somewhat controversial, because if you enter into that vision, you see it. And Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they both saw Moses and Elijah. Well, if you'd been on that mountain that night, but you did not have the vision, 
then you you couldn't have seen Moses and Elijah so you would think well I didn't see two guys I didn't see Moses and Elijah well that's because you didn't have the vision but if you have the vision you're in on it so that you know, that's why sometimes people that that uh, that are how can we say that are not being touched by God they can stand back and see people and think well that's just silliness well it's not silly when you're the one in the group being touched by God whether it's holy laughter whether it's holy fire whether it's a spirit of repentance uh, whether it's the spirit of holiness or whatever it might be when God's touching you it's very real but if God's not touching a critic the critic can stand there and, and think ah they're just being emotional no, uh, you know they're not being emotional. It's just their you know, their emotions are responding to their spirit being touched by God. And when your spirit is touched by God, uh, your emotions are touched as well, and even your body, uh, you know, can have movements, shaking, uh, you know, whatever it might be. But the the thing is, is that is that they're on that mountain. It was a visionary experience, a glorious experience. But verse nine, they eventually came down from the mountain. And my friends, that's part of the balance. Why do you have to come down from the mountain? Because there are many, many people at the base of the mountain who are faced with overwhelming problems and challenges of life. And the reason we go up on the mountain is, uh, I believe it's, I believe there's two reasons. We could say it's a dual purpose. Number one, for yourself. You must go for your own walk with the Lord. You must go for your own strengthening of the Lord. But you also go so that you might receive the anointing, so that when you come down from the mountain, you can minister to the people. Because the people, you know, you can't get all those people up on top of the mountain. There's not room for them. And I believe we need mountaintop experiences. You know, I know that St. Patrick, there's a certain mountain in Ireland that he went to, and uh, many, many people uh, make that, that journey uh, all the way to the top, but he went up to the top many years back, and he, and he fasted and he prayed for 40 days and for 40 nights, and he came off that mountaintop experience with great anointing, great miracle power, and was able to minister to many, many people, not at the top of the mountain, but at the bottom of the mountain. So a lot of people, uh, pilgrims to that area, uh, like to make that journey to identify with the great act of faith that that man of God uh, carried out. But same thing here. You could have a mountaintop experience. You could even go up there and fast 40 days, 40 nights. You could go up there, maybe you have a vision. But it's the equipping so that you might come down and be able to minister to the people that are down here. Well, you know, Pastor Stephen, I'd like to go to a remote island and just live and be like a monk or a hermit and, you know, just, just stay there. Well, maybe you could do that if you retire, okay? Maybe when you're 80 and you've done everything that God told you to do, maybe you can finally go, uh, maybe God will give you a green slip and you can go off to an island somewhere and live out your remaining days in solitude. But I would present that until that time comes, you really need to stick around and be a blessing to others. See, I think some people have misunderstood the role of monks and nuns uh, within uh, particularly the Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodox religion, or whatever it might be in those areas. They think, well, a monk, he's just wasting his time living in a cell. All he does is pray. Uh, th- that's not true. Uh, most of the monks are very busy. They're very, they're very active. Um, you know, these monasteries, they also have to have ways of supporting themselves. That's why uh, many of these monks, they're either roasting coffee so they can sell coffee. Uh, I know one monastery, they make really good chocolate. So the monks are busy making chocolate because we have to be able to buy robes. We have to be able to uh, furnish heating here in the monastery and on and on it goes, whatever it might be. So there's a lot to do along with a lot of praying, along with a lot of study of the scripture. But really um, throughout the, what we would call the middle ages, if it were not for monasteries and for monks, much of the learning, much of the knowledge that had been learned up to that point would have been lost, because they were the ones that were writing it down, recording it in books, so that knowledge could be passed from one generation to another generation. So we really thank God for the roles of the monks and the nuns throughout uh, the Middle Ages, because they were the ones that really helped to document 
uh, a lot of the history of the early church. And can you imagine if we had lost all of that? If we had, uh, you know, lost the books, lost their manuscripts, because a lot of them got burned, a lot of them were intentionally burned at times, but they would always hide them. And then they were, they would recreate them. They were real scholars and uh, often spoke and wrote in many different languages. So the thing is, is that you can be spiritual, but you also can be natural. And even if you're a monk, that doesn't mean, as I'm trying to explain to you that are listening, it doesn't mean that a monk just sits around and prays all the time. No, they have a lot to do. I have a friend of mine, he was a Benedictine monk, uh, Benedictine monk for nine years before going into the, uh, the priesthood. But you know, uh, he was very busy during those years, very knowledgeable, and uh, being trained and raised up so that he could eventually minister and preach and teach God's Word uh, to the people. So my friends, we need to have that balance. Yes, I, I like having mountaintop experiences. I like having moments where I can retreat and have undivided attention to give to the Lord. But I can't do that always, nor would the Lord want me to do that always, because the people have so many needs. And you have got to be able to love people and to minister the people on their level. And that, that means that we just can't stay up on the mountaintop all the time. Praise God. Hallelujah. That it means that we can't just fast and go off all the time into a retreat where, you know, we just, uh, we were just gone. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. I think this will help us. I, by, by the way, as, as you're listening to me talk today, you and I both know, <laughs> you know, what's the truth. You and I both know there are very, very few believers that, how can we say, are, uh, that would maybe need correction from being too spiritual. Most, most Christians need some help in the area of, hey, you're watching TV too much, or hey, you're wasting your time over here too much, you're, you're being very carnal, and you need to be more spiritual. There's only a handful, really, that need that extra touch from the Lord that would say, hey, I know you're trying to pray a whole lot, but uh, you haven't done the laundry, and the laundry is really begin to, it's beginning to smell really bad, so you need to wash the laundry. Praise God. So you want to have an excellent spirit, and it can be a, a challenge to develop. Daniel had an excellent spirit. And see, people try to spiritualize Daniel. Uh, yes, Daniel was the man that fasted. And, you know, uh, 21 days of fasting and had the angelic visitation from Gabriel and, uh, and you know, all of these glorious things. Thrown into the lion's den and had the angelic visitation. And, yes, it's all true. Uh, Daniel was a very spiritual person, praying multiple times a day having visions. He was a prophet, but he also served in the king's court. And you cannot serve in the king's court and be a goofball. You can't serve in the king's court and not use mouthwash. You cannot serve in the king's court and not have your hair combed properly. And you can't be there with dirty fingernails. You have to have the package of an excellent spirit that's balanced. The balance of being spiritual and the balance of knowing how to relate to people so that they don't think that you're a kook or a nut. Praise God. And some Christians, they don't get that. They have that, that weird look in their eye and uh, uh, like that somehow makes them spiritual to look like a weirdo. No, it just means that you're a weirdo. And, and so we need to present Christ to specifically the lost in a way that does not turn them off by making them think we're just a bunch of weirdos. Praise God. And you know what? Uh, the devil loves to do that. He wants, he wants the world to think, particularly that spirit-filled Christians, that all we do is swing from chandeliers and pass around rattlesnakes. And uh, that's not true. And as, as you and I both know, the reality of that is less than 1% of 1%. And, uh, but the enemy would try to make it look like, oh, that's just the way the whole church is. Well, that's not true. But my friends, even still, we need, to, we need to have that delicate balance. Have your mountaintop experience. And see, here's the thing. And this was a part, you know, as I mentioned Psalm 66 earlier, uh, of, of going through fire and through water and going through testings and uh, these refinings. Uh, I wasn't born 
in front of the camera preaching the, the gospel. I wasn't born with a Bible in my hand. You know, some of these guys, bless their hearts, they were, uh, I've, seen, I've seen guys that were called into the ministry at the age of six or seven. You know, you look at little Samuel, the prophet, grew up in, in, the, in, uh, in the, uh, the temple, the tabernacle system, just always around the ministry. And, and other guys, I was called by God at the age of eight. Well, that's really cool. But I, uh, you know, I wasn't born with a Bible in my hand. I, I did begin to sense in high school, a very strong calling from the Lord towards ministry. I couldn't really put my finger on it, but I just had a very unusual craving for God. Others began to notice it, began to try to help steer me into that direction of destiny, which to till this day I very much appreciate. But what I'm trying to say is that, um, you know what, for many years I worked, I worked a job, and I was in the plumbing industry. Uh, I enjoyed it. And, uh, and, and just learn from those things. But there would be times where I would do a meeting on Sunday night, and because I wasn't yet in the ministry full time, I would do a meeting on Sunday night and see God do miracles and signs and wonders and just people so happy. And I, I, I get people filled with the Holy Spirit and just have a tremendous glory meeting. And the next morning be crawling underneath the house with my overalls on, uh, taking my, all of my tools, all of my equipment so that I could repipe an old house. Crawling through the dirt the very next morning because it's off the work I go. Uh, and so it, it's flipping back and forth, back and forth. Was it tough? Yes, it was tough because I was thinking, wow, that was an awesome meeting last night. I want to be able to do that again. But, you know, it's not at that place where I could just do it. You know, uh, full-time God had not yet launched me into it. And so, you know, I would just go right back to work the next day. It'd be kind of a strange feeling. Uh, but you know what? You just, you stay faithful with what God is doing in your life, where God has you at, at that point. Praise the Lord. So what am I trying to say? Sunday night, mountaintop experience, Monday morning, whew, right back down the mountain. I mean, very at the bottom of the mountain, hallelujah. And, you know, be around uh, people that were just, you know, unsaved and cussing and, and uh, you know, and all the complexities and things going wrong at work and pipes bursting and all kinds of goofy problems and uh, stuff like that. Uh, you know, still enjoying life, enjoying work, but all the stuff that goes along with it, you know. So, yes, mountaintop experience, boom, and shift within 12 hours right back into a place of literally laying in the dirt, hallelujah, up under her house, you know, working on pipes and stuff like that. Sometimes, I mean, uh, I was under house one time when the whole piping system was so old and so fragile that as I was working on it, it just shattered and broke because cast iron pipe, if it gets real old and it's, it could get brittle, it just cracked. And so just uh, raw sewage uh, flowing out and, you know, laying, laying in, the, in the sewage and, uh, just thinking, you know, this was really quite a turn from my experience last night <laughs> of laying in the glory. Woo, hallelujah. But, you know, it, it's all good. But you've got to be able to balance these things. You've got to be able to balance mountaintop uh, coming down from the mountain and being normal. Being normal. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise God. These things really help us to enjoy life. I really like life. I have to admit, I like the glory. I like miracles. But you know what? I also like just kicking back and uh, eating pizza with my wife and friends. I, I, I'm not a, I, I have, I have uh, areas of my life that are, that are maybe we could say, or that are, ex, that are, uh, maybe I don't want to say extreme, that are, uh, I have my uniquenesses. But I also, in many ways, I'm a very simple person. It doesn't take a lot to, make me happy. <laughs> Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. I'm, I'm mindful of um, uh, the famous running back from the, uh, uh, the uh, Houston Oilers football team. Now they've changed their name. You know, now they're the Houston, Texas. But many years back, they were the Houston Oilers. And they had this amazing running back named Earl Campbell. And, you know, he was the guy that was just this real powerful running back, real hard to tackle. Uh, and, you know, he made a lot of money in the NFL. But, uh, you know, after he retired, he said, you know what? And he's got a lot of money and stuff. He says, it doesn't take a lot of, 
doesn't take a lot of things to make me happy because I grew up with no socks. And when you, uh, when you grow up maybe with deprivation in certain areas of your life, and then later you've got plenty of it, uh, you're just happy, praise God. I feel like I'm like that in many ways. I'm happy. I'm pressing on for other things that God wants me to step into, but I'm still happy. I'm still happy as I'm along, as I'm going along this journey. And I pray and I hope that you are as well. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. So, so walk that balance. You know, I talked with a pastor one time who, uh, and I preached at his church a couple times. He's a good man. And he, he said one time, he said, um, he said, Brother Stephen, he said, there was a point in my life where the church was going really well. Finances were going really well. And my wife and I, we bought an old house and uh, we decided to buy an old house because we could remodel it. And he said, yeah, he said, I have to be honest. He said, I'm really good at carpentry. I'm a very skilled craftsman. Those were things I did before I was full-time pastoring. And so when we bought this house, um, he said, I just really liked remodeling it. And I began to get more involved, more involved with remodeling. And the, the deeper I plunged into the remodel of this house, he said, he said, it's like my sermons, the anointing on my sermons just began to go downhill, downhill. Because I was putting so much focus and so much time into this house remodel that it's my, my, my love for the church, my love for the word began to, uh, began to like just dissipate. See what's going on? Improper balance. And he knew that. And he told me that he made a mistake on that and he, he corrected it. And he got it right. I said, I understand. Then, you know, the same thing can happen with a pastor with a building project. Uh, when you, particularly if it's a large building project, maybe running into, uh, you know, a couple million dollars, that, that project wants to pull the pastor's attention over onto that area because somebody's got to steer the ship and that thing's going to want to pull him over there. Those are times when pastors can be very vulnerable to the enemy trying to sneak in and launch something against their lives. So I just believe there's a balance where you've got to stay on the main thing. And yes, give attention to the minor things, but always put the major focus on the main thing and everything will balance out just right. Because there are some things spiritually that it doesn't work unless you give it your full attention. Let me talk about prayer for a moment. You cannot pray really pray without entering in. In other words, if there's something in your prayer life that keeps you looking over your shoulder, oh, I'm expecting a phone call at any moment, and you're still trying to pray, you can't enter in. Why? You're distracted. And if something is distracting you spiritually, you can't enter in. And if you can't enter in to really get into the heart of God in prayer, then, then you're only touching peripheral issues. You're in the outer court. And when, when stuff hits and life pops up those unexpected difficulties and you're out there in the outer court, um, just because you're moving projects forward, that's not going to carry you and you're not going to have what you need. You know, there was a pastor, actually an apostle one time, he has a large church, I think, I think he seat, his, his facility seats about 50,000 people, but he was hosting an, an annual conference, and he's bringing in the most anointed speakers from around the world, and you know, you have all the logistics to get ready for, for a global international conference like that. He's the head apostle over the whole thing, and just activity swirling, and he's in the midst of his activity, wanting to make sure that everything's right. He, he loves protocol. He loves honor. So he's making sure all the seats are lined up right, and all the, the reserved seats for the dignitaries, all of that is marked off. And he said he was checking on that, and the Holy Spirit said to him, you need to pull back from all this activity. Let, let the others oversee this. And you know, he was, that's the thing, when you're really good at something, and he had that administrative gifting, he still does, but when you're really good at something, you have to be careful that you, you don't neglect the major, the most important thing. 
And that's what he was beginning to do, and he admitted it. And the Holy Spirit said, you need to really pull back, because I need to get you ready for something. And so he, pulled, he obeyed. A lot, of, a lot of people, they won't listen to that, but he obeyed, and he pulled back, and he just really, he had about three days before that conference, and he just gave himself to fasting and prayer. And when the conference happened, uh, something, something took place where uh, outside, uh, there was a, a, a dead person that was, that they were driving the person to the morgue or something like that, and they had just stopped, just believing, Lord, this is the last chance before, you know, we're going to take this guy and put him in the ground. And, uh, you know, the person was dead, and they had asked the man of God to come out and pray, and he went out and prayed, and the person was raised from the dead. And this was while the conference was going on. And, you know, and the Holy Spirit basically said, this is why I had to get you ready. Now, can you imagine something like that? And you know you're just you're just running and you're kind of flustered and now all of a sudden this thing pops up that wasn't on the agenda that wasn't on the itinerary. Well, you know all of a sudden you're trying to get into the spirit, and you know what you just you need to be ready before it happens. And so in your prayer time, you have got to be able to enter in, not just kind of like you know stay in the outer court you know and just like well I didn't really hear anything from God I haven't heard anything from God from years but no you've got to be able to enter in and to do that you cannot be distracted you must be able to give God your undivided attention because that's where the gravy's at that's where the wealth the richness is at is being able to enter in into the presence of the, of the Lord and have those heart-to-heart talks and times with the Lord and you come out of that and that now life is really flowing now life's flowing now go now go do a little remodeling if you want to praise God but you also notice that when you're really in your flow that uh, a lot of these things that maybe you're really good at in the natural, sometimes you, you'll even pull back because you also really want to guard and protect that anointing. Yes, you'll do the things you need to do, but there's a point also with the Holy Spirit, you realize don't dive in too deep into these natural things. You know, do it. Yeah, yeah. Take care of it. But also, there's a point also the Holy Spirit says, now you, begin, you need to pull back some so that you're not tired. You're not exhausted because later, later you're going to need some more anointing for this. I tell you what, it's an amazing balance. We really can't, we can't walk it without the Holy Spirit. Because not only do we have, you know, work and you, you have your devotional life, but you also, for many of you, you have family. You have a wife, uh, ladies, you, may, you have a husband, and uh, many of you, you have children. So now all of a sudden, the mix gets, uh, you know, more involved. So, how do we balance all of this? There's grace. Uh, take a look at this very quickly. Genesis chapter 5. I really believe that the Holy Spirit is going to help you walk this tightrope, and you're not going to ever fall off. And I really believe that with the Holy Spirit, you could actually enjoy walking that tightrope. Uh, there was one tightrope uh, walker. I can't remember his, his name. He was a Frenchman. He would come to America. He was extremely good. Walked across Niagara Falls back and forth. I, I think he actually did over a hundred times. But you know how it is. If you see somebody do it once, you think, well, I don't want to see that, see that again. Do something now more complicated. He would always just keep lifting the bar, lifting the bar to where he was walking across, pushing wheelbarrows, and, uh, you know, j- just doing very complex things, sitting down in the middle, uh, over the fall, lowering, you know, like a sandwich down to the people down in the boat, uh, you know, just doing all kinds of stuff like that. But I really believe that not only can you have this balance, but you can even enjoy it. And I believe, I believe you can be very, very well developed in this. Here's somebody that really somehow got it all figured out by the Holy Spirit. He really mastered it. And this would be uh, Enoch, Genesis 5, verse 21. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just pausing just for a moment because I'm getting a supernatural fragrance uh, that's beginning to come in. And I'll see if I can explain that in just a moment. Let me jump back to Enoch. Uh, it says in verse 21, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. Something about his life up until that point was normal. Something about Methuselah's life up until that point, what he was just maybe we could say a good Christian. Went to church on Sunday morning, and he, uh, he loved God, but uh, nothing spiritually exceptional about his life. But when he had a son, something about that experience, something where he encountered the Lord, where he just 
went wild after that. His heart just went after God, and he became suddenly this man that was known for a guy that had a supernatural walk with God. And I believe that as we're going to come into Passover very, very soon, I believe that this can be a launching point for you to go into a shift. Well, maybe up until this point, you've been a good Christian. You, you love the Lord. I mean, who doesn't, right? Who's a Christian? You love God, and you go to church, and you, you know, you just, uh, you know, you're just moving along in your spiritual journey. But maybe there can be a moment for you coming up very soon where you just get bit with the bug. I, I'm not talking about a real bug. I'm talking about like an angel. Something stirs your water. Something, the, 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 your, your heart is touched, and suddenly you begin a pursuit after God. I believe we have moments like that that are grace moments where if you respond, you lock in, and your life is never the same. And the reason I'm saying Passover is because I'm smelling a fragrance. The, when, I, when I grew up as a child, whenever it was Easter time, we would all, always have this candy, these little bitty pieces of candy. And uh, you know, I, I know it's like, uh, how, can I, how can I explain this? I know it's a man-made religion, religious tradition. But when I grew up, we would always have Easter, and yes, we would have the Easter bunny thing at our house on Easter Sunday, where all, we would hide all the Easter eggs, and uh, uh, me and my brothers and my cousins, we'd all look for the Easter eggs, and you know, we'd all put them in a basket and stuff like that. Yes, I know it's a pagan tradition, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Glory to God. And even though the roots of it are based out of Babylonian Ishtar, you know, I, I, I'm aware of all of that, but we really did love the Lord, and you know, we, we, we're kind of clueless. We didn't, we had no clue of really how the Easter bunny had any context with the cross of Christ and, uh, and, and all of that. You know, it's just, it's just stuff that it's water under the bridge. I can't change it. It is what it is, is what happened in our lives. So we were, we, we had the Easter bunny and the gathering of the eggs and all of that. But Easter, as we know, of course, is technically uh, Passover. And so, but it was during those times we would we'd get these little candies, these little, I don't even know what they were called, but they had a certain fragrance, a smell, and uh, that we would eat them, but we would always eat them, it was always during Easter. So I'm smelling that right now because we're coming into Passover uh, very, very soon, within a few days, and I believe that this can be a moment for you that Enoch had, where something shifts in your life and you just say, you know what? I'm really going to start, I'm going to start walking with God. I'm just going to see how close I can get to God and just see what comes out of that. Look, I know you're saved because if you put your faith and trust in the Lord, you're saved. So I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about really just walking with the Lord and just exploring, exploring the heart of God. Praise God. So I believe that this, this season that we're coming, we're coming into can be that moment for you where you develop something supernatural with the Lord, where instead of having a balance, or a life that's all out of balance, where everything is just carnal, just, you know, how can I say it? Soccer games, and sports, and TV, and just carnality, and carnality, and just living life your own way, where something can happen, where God can touch your heart, where you say, now hold on a minute, I'm going to have spiritual symmetry in my life, and I'm going to be balanced, and I'm going to really, really develop my walk with the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Verse 22, uh, it says regarding, regarding Enoch that after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. So after he had that son, he suddenly developed this walk with God. There was a shift, and I believe there's an open door over Passover. Well, you can go through that door, anoint it with the blood of the Lamb, and you can have a real deep walk with the Lord. Praise God. Now watch this. He walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. He had sons and daughters. Okay, so he had a wife, obviously, and he had sons and daughters. He had this, he had this walk with God that was so remarkable that thousands of years later, we're still talking about it. He set a bar so high that thousands of years later we're still looking at the standard that he set. This guy, he was phenomenal with his walk with the Lord. And he did it while he was married 
and had a lot of children. So I just believe that although you may be married, you have children, you may be working a full-time job, I still believe that you can have an Enoch walk with God. He somehow did. He somehow found that balance. And he would take those extra hours and grab that extra time and spend it with the Lord instead of, uh, of using it for some other type of use. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now if God takes you, uh, that's okay. That was the plan of God. If you get so close to the Lord that the Lord just takes you, then that, that's okay. We'll let you go. We'll miss you. Uh, but we'll be glad that you became that developed in the Lord where God just said, you know what? The person, I'm just going to take the person home right now. And he never died. He never physically died. Praise God. That's one of the reasons that some people believe that the two witnesses will be Enoch, because he never died, and the prophet Elijah, because he never died either. They were both taken up into heaven while they were still alive. I'll just, I'll just throw this out there. I'll just throw this out there. It's actually taught by the rabbis that Enoch was not the only one who was translated, that there was actually like a company of believers of the Lord during that time. They all walked close with the Lord. And yes, Enoch was the one that maybe we could say was the leader, but there was like a group that was just extremely devoted to the Lord. They were all walking close with God. It's just like Elijah, when he talked to the Lord, he said, Lord, I'm, I'm like the only one left who's really still serving you, who's remained faithful. And the Lord said, no, I've, I've got 7,000 who've never bowed the knee to Baal, nor kissed the image of Baal. He said, I've got 7,000. So there's always this remnant, this group that God has that are just crazy in love for the Lord. They're, 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 they're just seeking God day and night. And getting the laundry done, getting the dishes done, making their bed, making sure their children are well fed and well taken care of, making sure that the spouse gets, gets proper attention, uh, performing in excellence at their work, but just whoo, right back over to the Lord. You know, get the work knocked out, whoo, right back over into the study of the Word. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. So once you get into that stream, um, there, there is a flow in it. There is a flow. So when you have those invitations, those open doors to go into it, you really want to go. You really want to go. It's an amazing balance. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Please just lift your hands. Father, I want to pray for your people that they find this balance to walk uh, this tightrope in life. And if they've fallen off, which we all have, Lord, let them get back on and get really good at getting the balance right. Getting the balance right. Now, Father, we thank you. I see you be becoming very spiritually light. Hallelujah. You're going to be very spiritually light. It's going to be very easy for you to walk this rope, very easy for you to balance. So, Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. Even as you're going to be on this tight rope, the Lord's going to show you things of coming that, that will come. Just like a wind could come, and the person on the tight rope knows to lean just right to compensate for the wind. So God will show you things that would try to move you off the tightrope. He'll even show you what's coming so that you can be stabilized really, really well. Praise God. And you just keep right on walking right through all of those circumstances. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you. Let the grace be upon your people to be spiritual tightrope walkers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Doing all that you call them to do in the natural. And also walking with you in the Spirit, just like Enoch did. Thank you, Father. This, this is a dimension worthy of being explored. Wow. Father, we thank you. Now I'm getting that fragrance again of that candy that I would always eat during Easter. And I know maybe some of you, um, how can I say, uh, Jewish root people. And I like studying Jewish roots too. Uh, maybe you, you don't want me to say the word Easter <laughs> because you and I, we both know it's Passover. It's okay. But I've got to say that because there's a lot that were raised in church 
uh, traditional evangelical churches, and it was all about Easter and all about the Easter Bunny and you know candy and, and, and stuff like that. So I've got to be able to speak to them too. Praise God! But that's what I'm smelling right now—that Easter candy. Hallelujah! Glory to God! Glory to God! And that's an invitation as we are in Passover season to come into a walk with God where something shifts. Where even as Enoch had a moment, something inspired him. That was the birth of Methuselah. Something moved him where he just said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to live the rest of my life just going through life. And see, that's the thing about Methuselah. He lived life, and it says he lived to be 969 years old, and he died. It doesn't tell you anything about his life. Why? Well, maybe there was nothing really spiritually exceptional about his life. Maybe that's why there's something mentioned about, but, but, the Holy Spirit pauses in the writing of Scripture, pauses and slows Moses down under the inspiration of Scripture, and brief details, but opulent details are brought out about the life of Enoch, because he has something to say that's worth mentioning about his life. And so he really lived, praise God. And so that's what God wants. He wants you to really live, not just go through life. You live, you eat, you sleep, you die. It's all over with. No, he wants you to have spiritual depth in your life. Glory to God. And that's why you're getting the balance right. So Father, I pray for your people. Let that grace to walk the tightrope be there. Let everything be accomplished. Let everything be done. Let them have a spirit of excellence like Daniel where they can stand before the king, where they can excel in their career field, and also be found in the prayer closet. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's take communion today, because I believe there's invitation, invitation into the realm of the Spirit, the walk of God. There's invitation. Thank you, Lord. See, David said, draw me. Draw me, Lord, and I will come. So there is that drawing. And when you yield and go after that drawing, you step in by grace. But it's very difficult if you dismiss that, and then you just keep fiddling around on all kinds of wasteful stuff. Well, if you respond, you go in. And that's, there's a door. There's a door right now. So, Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We bless it. We thank you. This is now the flesh, the body, and the blood of Jesus. It's consecrated and set apart. Thank you, O God. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he got it right. He understood how to be a good carpenter a master builder, and also studying the Scriptures, staying up late at night, reading the Scriptures, getting up in the middle of the night, in prayer, having his ears dug out to be taught the Scriptures. Father, we thank you for the amazing balance of Jesus, God and man, balancing that somehow. Father, we thank you. We receive grace as we receive the body of Jesus. Let's partake. As you come in the Pentecost, excuse me, Passover, because I'm getting the fragrances of Passover right now, of Easter, they're just, just floating through here. I wish I had some of those little candies. They were, they were pastel in color like pastel orange, pastel blue, traditional Easter colors. And, uh, but they're just little candy, little candy things that we would eat. Not hard candy, it was kind of like soft candy. But I, I can't remember what they were called. But as you come right now into Passover, ask the Lord to take you into the deep walk of the Spirit, because there's a grace for it right now. Why don't you do that just as soon as we receive the blood? Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for invitation. You're extending invitation into the deep walk. We thank you, Father. Father, I think for many of us that it, as we've gone down the tightrope for so many, they've fallen off into the area of the flesh. 
Very few have fallen, maybe having put too much emphasis on the Spirit. <laughs> so, Father, help your people. Help your people. We thank you for getting back on the tightrope today. We thank you in Jesus' name. We receive the blood of Jesus. Amen. Let's drink. Praise God. One more time, please lift your hands. Father, I pray for your people that as we go into the Passover season, that there be that drawing. I mean, I mean just, Father, a drawing on the cords of the hearts of your people that they can, they can sense and feel. I need to pray. I want to go pray. Now, we thank you, Father God. They'll be on the tightrope, and they can know this is the way I'm supposed to go. I'm supposed to pray right now. We thank you, Father God, for this divine balance in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. My friends, thank you for watching. Enjoy your mountaintop experiences, and also enjoy the time when you're down at the base of the mountain, working in the Lord's kingdom, doing what He's called you to do there as well with enjoyment. Enjoy every aspect of life, and stay on that tightrope and balance it just right. The Holy Spirit will help you. Have a great week. God bless you.